Good morning. All right, I need some interaction from you for a little bit. When I say the name God, what are some of the words that come to your mind? When I say God, what are the things that come to your mind? First things. Awesome. Love. What? Trust. Father. Faithful. What are a few others? Forgiving, I heard somewhere. The rock. Just. Very good. Do you know these are all attributes of the character of God? Those are the things you think of. Those are the words that come to mind when you think of God. For me, one of the things that I have built my faith on is an attribute of God that says that he is unchanging. God is unchanging. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But yet as I talk to people a lot of times, it seems that one of the questions that comes up often is, does God change his mind? And of course I think, does God change his mind? Well, that's crazy. God doesn't change his mind. God is unchanging. He's the same forever. But then there's scriptures that you look at that make you wonder at times. You know, theologians have called God never changing. They use this fancy word, immutable. They say that God is immutable. He is never changing. That's just a fancy way of saying never changing. But as you look at scriptures, do they back up that idea? In Malachi chapter 3, 6, it says, I am the Lord and I do not change. Okay? But what about in Exodus 32, 14? It says, so the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. Well, I thought God didn't change. Well, then there's Ezekiel 24, 14. It says, I, the Lord, have spoken. The time has come, and I won't hold back. I will not change my mind, and I will have no pity on you. You will be judged on the basis of all of your wicked actions, says the Sovereign Lord. Or Jeremiah 26, 3. Perhaps they will listen and turn away from their evil ways. Then I will change my mind about the disaster I'm ready to pour out on them because of their sins. Or Jeremiah 4, 28, The earth will mourn and the heavens will be draped in black because of my decree against my people. I have made up my mind and I will not change it. Or Jonah 3, 10, When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Now if you're anything like me, I was doing a search in my software this week and I pulled up all this stuff and it, it shows these verses and the contrast about how God changed his mind. He didn't change his mind. He changed his mind. He's not going to change his mind. And I went, what? What in the world? I thought that God was unchanging. I thought that he was immutable. That was what I've built my faith upon. But yet, three of those six scriptures suggested that God changed his mind. Well, what's really happening? If there's anything I've learned in the time that I've studied scripture is that you cannot take one verse and take it for face value without looking at the context of the story, without looking at what's happening before that verse, without looking at what's happening after that verse, without looking at who's talking or who are they talking to or what's happening in history. You have to understand what's going on. It's kind of like watching commercials today, and we've got all these political battles going on, and you see these commercials pop up all the time, and it's one politician saying quotes from another politician. So-and-so said this, so-and-so said this, and you listen to those quotes, and it makes that other politician sound horrible. But sometimes, if you know the context of the conversation, it may not be as bad as what it looks like. Or maybe it's worse than what it looks like. You never know. But you can't take those statements by themselves and assume that you know everything about that person because of that one statement or even that half of a statement that they put in quotation marks and throw up there. 
But yet we seem to do that with Scripture a lot of times. We look at one verse and go, well, oh, God's this way because this verse said so. But we forget to look at the rest of the things around it. We forget to look at the context that the verses are in. Here's the thing. As you look at a little more context, we see that really there are two kinds of statements that we're seeing in those first verses. The first kind of statement that we see is a decree or an oath. And basically this is a statement that is being made that is binding and unconditional. A lot of times you see this called a covenant in Scripture. But it is a binding and unconditional statement. Here's the key to it. The response of the recipient of the statement is irrelevant. So if God makes a decree, if he declares an oath, it's basically saying it does not matter how you respond. It does not matter what happens or what the people do. This is it. It's final. It's done. But then there's a second kind of statement. We're going to call that an announcement today. And that announcement is not binding. And it's conditional. In fact, a lot of times it's very conditional. You'll see things like an if-then statement to make it very clear what the conditions are. And it is totally dependent upon the response of the recipient. So you see God talking to people, and what he's saying is totally dependent upon what they say. These are announcements that we see throughout Scripture. Let me show you some stories in Scripture that kind of give some background to it so you can understand a little better. In Genesis 15, we'll start with verses 18 through 21. It says, So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants, all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. Now, if you were here last week, the second half of the verse, you heard a similar passage from Ed. It says, The land now occupied by the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And I think Ed added the mosquito bites and the gigabytes and all those other things last week. But you've got all these people, and it's a promise God is making, saying you're going to inherit this land where they all are. You're going to inherit the land of Canaan, and it's going to be in your family forever. And this was a covenant agreement. Now, here's what you have to understand about this covenant in particular. This is referred to as the Abrahamic covenant. And in this covenant, God decrees this to Abraham. He says, your people are going to get the land of Canaan, and you're going to inherit all of this property. And it's going to be in your family forever. And to show that, I'm going to make a covenant agreement with you. So in the, in, according to customs of the time, Abraham goes and he selects certain animals that God told him. He brings them back, he kills them, he cuts them in half and lays them out to make a walkway. Now this is my kind of illustration. He, he's taking animals, cutting them in half, laying them out, he's ready to go. And here's what's going to happen. In a normal covenant agreement like this, each party making the covenant would walk through between the two halves of the animals showing or symbolizing that if I don't do my part, then surely I will die. And each party would walk through saying, this is that kind of agreement. This is a covenant. If I don't follow through with my end of the deal, I'm going to die just like these animals have died. Now here's what happens in this Abrahamic covenant. God has Abraham get these animals, sacrifice them, cut them in half, lay them out, and then he causes a great darkness to come over and for Abraham to fall asleep. And as Abraham is sleeping, he sees a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch both pass through the animals. These are symbolic of God passing through the animals. God is making the covenant with Abraham, but here's what he has done. He has taken full responsibility for the covenant agreement. He basically says, this is all on me. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you respond. It doesn't matter how you behave from this point forward. I'm declaring that this is going to come to pass. This land is promised to your descendants forever. He's basically saying, if I don't follow through with my part of the bargain, I will die. Abraham, if you don't follow through with your part of the bargain, I will die. God takes it all on himself. It is very clearly a decree that he puts before us. 
In the next passage, in Genesis 22, another one here with Abraham, it says, This is what the Lord says, Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name. Now there's a key phrase. This is God talking to Abraham. I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. We've been having computer problems all morning. Can you help me, Dwayne? Okay. It says, Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies, and through your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Now this is coming in the story, and you probably remember this story, of Abraham going to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. You remember that story? Abraham hears from God. God tells him, I want you to sacrifice your son to me. And Abraham is faithful in doing this. He gets all of his servants together. He gathers the wood. He gathers the fire. He gets all the stuff ready to go out to where they're going to build an altar. And Abraham jumps through every hoop. He builds the altar. He puts the wood on the altar. He ties his son up and lays him on the altar and has the knife raised, ready to kill his own son because God told him to. And at that moment, as he raises the knife, God stops him. And he says, no. Because you've been obedient, I'm going to bless you. Now see, a lot of times we look at the story and we think, well, this is God letting Abraham prove himself to God. Not really. God knew what he was going to do. God is all-knowing. God was allowing Abraham to prove himself to himself, to show that he had that much faith, to show that he would follow through. And so God says, I'm going to bless you. And again, he makes a decree because in the verse right before that, he says, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you and your descendants. He's making this a decree. It doesn't matter from this point forward what Abraham does. God has made a decision. It is final, and he is going to bless him. Another passage out of Psalm 89. This is uh, God talking to David. It says, The Lord said, I have made a covenant with David, my chosen servant. I've sworn this oath to him. I will establish your descendants as kings forever. They will sit on your throne from now until eternity. And look at what happens just a few verses later in that same chapter. It says, but I will never stop loving him, nor fail to keep my promise to him. No, I will not break my covenant. I will not take back a single word I said. I have sworn an oath to David, and in my holiness I cannot lie. His dynasty will go on forever. His kingdom will endure as the sun. It will be as eternal as the moon, my faithful witness in the sky. And we see this throughout history, how God has been faithful to this. He's saying, David, kings are going to come from your lineage forever. I'm making this promise to you, and it doesn't matter what you do, because we all know that David had some pretty good mess-ups in his life. But God's saying it doesn't really matter how you respond at this point. I have made this decision. It's final. It's a decree. It's an oath. But then there are also some examples of announcements that we see in Scripture that kind of clarify that. In Jeremiah 26, it says, Say to them, this is what the Lord says. If you will not listen to me and obey my word I have given you, and if you will not listen to my servants, the prophets, for I sent them again and again to warn you, but you would not listen to them, then I will destroy this temple as I destroyed Shiloh, the place where the tabernacle was located, and I will make Jerusalem an object of cursing in every nation on earth. Do you catch what happened in that statement? If you do this, if you do this, then I will respond in this way. God makes it very clear there's conditions in this statement. It depends upon how the people respond. So he's made this a conditional statement. This is an announcement that God is making. What about in Genesis 12? It says, The Lord has said to Abram, 
Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now there's some key things in that phrase too. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country. Leave everybody you know. Leave everything you know. Leave your comfort zone and go. Go to the land I will show you. Notice he doesn't even tell him where to go. He just says, go to the land I will show you. It's basically pick up all of your stuff, pick up, forget about everything you've known, and just go. Step out in faith, and I will show you where to stop. It's contingent upon Abram making the decision to go. Abram has to be faithful to give up everything he knows and to follow God in blind faith and know that God will show him where to go. This is a conditional statement. This is an announcement that we see clearly in Scripture. Now, we look at all of these things, and they're clear. And you read these stories, and there there are words in them that make it obvious that it's a decree or an oath, or it's a conditional statement, it's an announcement. And you go, okay, I get that. I can see how God is making that clear. Well, then you find other stories that maybe aren't quite so clear. And you have to have a little more context to understand these. Look here at Genesis 12. Verses 1 through 3. Actually, I've already done that one. 2 Samuel 12, 14 through 18 says, Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the Lord by doing this, your child will die. This is the prophet Nathan speaking to King David. And in the context of the story, this is King David after he has had an affair with Bathsheba and they have conceived a child together. And so David sins. He makes a bad choice. He gets into trouble, and what does he do? Instead of repenting at that time, he tries to cover it up. He sends her husband, Uriah, into battle on the front lines to have him killed, to make sure that he is killed and it's all brushed away and nobody will know the difference. And God sends Nathan to him and says, because you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, because you have sinned, and because you have tried to cover it up and tried to hide it and lie about it, the Lord, you've shown utter contempt for the Lord in doing this, your child is going to die. Now, it sounds pretty straightforward. It sounds like he's making a proclamation, saying this is going to happen. But look at how David responds. It says, After Nathan returned to his home, the Lord sent a deadly illness to the child of David and Uriah's wife. And David begged God to spare the child. He went without food and lay all night on the bare ground. So he's fasting, he's praying, he's spending time with God. He's trying to be repentant, trying to show that he wants to do the right thing. And the elders of David's household pleaded with him to get up and eat with them, but he refused. He's going through this process He has a repentant heart. He's trying to change God's mind. Even though he's heard from the prophet Nathan, he's trying to convince God to do something different. But look what happens in verse 18. It says, Then on the seventh day, the child died. Well, we can see very clearly that this was a decree from God because he followed through. He basically said, Okay, here's your sin, and here's the consequence. And sometimes you see that forgiveness come out, but sometimes you see that character attribute of justness come through as well. And God says, this time you have to pay the consequence. There's another story in Jonah that we looked at, Jonah 3, and this is one of the first verses we talked about. You remember the story of Jonah? Jonah was asked to go to Nineveh. God called him to go to Nineveh and save these people. And he turns and he runs and he runs towards Tarshish and he's trying to get away. And God says, no, you're going to go to Nineveh. So Jonah gets on a boat and the storms come and the sailors are going crazy. They go, what do we do? They end up tossing Jonah in the sea and a big fish swallows him. And he has this encounter with God, and the fish spits him up on the sea. And we pick up the story here. Jonah's finally being faithful. He got the point. It took being swallowed by a whale 
to get the point. He's kind of hard-headed like I am, but he finally figured it out. And he spits him up on shore, and Jonah's going to the people of Nineveh, and he enters the city, and he shouts to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Sounds pretty clear to me. This is God's judgment upon Nineveh for the way they've lived their lives. But watch what happens. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast. They put on burlap to show their sorrow. And when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Sounds similar to the other story, doesn't it? Repentant heart. Just like what David did, he took time to fast and to pray and to repent and to say, I messed up, and he's seeking forgiveness. And the people of Nineveh are doing the same thing. And look what happens this time. In verse 10 it says, When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Jonah didn't like that much. In fact, if you read just a little further in the book of Jonah, you see this in his response. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? Now, it seems to me he's getting a little smart aleck at this point with God. But didn't I say before I left home this is what you were going to do? I knew you would do this. This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and a compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You were eager to turn back from destroying people. He was upset. But here's what you see in this story. You see the character of God shine through. You see that attribute of who God is shine through. Here's the thing that I am convinced of. God is immutable. He is unchanging, but he is unchanging in his character. He is consistent to who he says he is. He is consistent in his actions that you see. And it's hard to explain this a lot of times. It's hard to understand, but it's because we only have human perspective. And we look at God and and we use words like he changed his mind because that's the only way we can understand it. Because we don't know everything. We don't see the big picture. But when you fully believe that God is omniscient, that he is all-knowing, that he knows how the people are going to respond before they respond, and yet he gives them the freedom of free will and of choice, it's a perspective that we cannot possibly understand. We just can't, it, it just doesn't resonate for us. It's like trying to picture nothingness. Try to sit all day long and picture what nothing is. You can't do it. The closest we can get is to picture blackness. But that's still something. We just cannot comprehend because we don't have the big picture. And when you look at the context, you look at the big picture, and you trust that God is consistent to his character, we see this play out a little differently. We know that God is just and loving, just like Ed talked about last week. You see both aspects of his character. And in one story, we see justice. In one story, we see where he hands out consequences because of sin. And in another story, we see love and forgiveness, and grace, and mercy. But those are all aspects of his character. The thing is, all we can see is this little glimpse, this little picture 
of what's really happening in the story where God can see the whole big picture and he can see everything that is coming together. Look at what God says about it in Jeremiah. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 10, it says, The Lord gave another message to Jeremiah. He said, Go down to the potter's shop and I will speak to you there. So I did as he told me and I found the potter working at his wheel. But as the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped, but the jar he was making did not turn out as he had hoped, so he crushed it into a lump of clay again and he started over. And then the Lord gave me this message. O Israel, can I not do to you as this potter has done to this clay? As the clay is in the potter's hands, so are you in my hand. If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, if they repent, I will not destroy it as I had planned. And if I announce that I will plant and build up a certain nation or kingdom, but then that nation turns to evil and they refuse to obey me, I will not bless it as I said I would. See, God is explaining the pieces of his character, the attributes of who he is. He's giving us a glimpse into who he really is. He changes the outcome based on people's response. He knows what you're going to do before you do it, but he still allows you to make that choice. That's really hard to wrestle through. It's hard to come to grips with that in our mind, to understand that. How can you know the outcome, but yet allow me to make my own choice anyway? hard to wrestle through. The reality is for us as humans, we're fickle. We change our minds at a whim. It doesn't take much of anything for us to change our minds. I don't know about the rest of you, but I've got three little girls that prove this to me all the time. They cannot make up their mind about anything, anything, whether it's what they're going to wear, how they're going to fix their hair, what they're going to eat, I can count all kinds of times where Sherry's been out of town. She's either out of town doing something or at a meeting, and it's, it's just Daddy and the girls that night. And so for dinner, I go, I'm going to let the girls have whatever they want tonight. doesn't matter. Candy, cereal, snacks, hamburgers, you name it. Whatever you want, we'll do that. And when I ask them what, you want, what they want, remember I've got three girls. How many responses do you think I get before it's all over? A minimum of 9 to 12. A minimum. And usually after we decide on something and I fix it and put it on the table, then they change their minds again. I, well, I want that. By that time, it's too late. There is no grace. Dinner's on the table. We're eating. Guys, now, now don't acknowledge this if your wife is sitting beside you, but how many times have you asked your wife, well, where do you want to go to dinner tonight? I'm sure she gave you one answer, and it was where you went, right? Right? Don't, don't acknowledge that too loud. Guys, we're no different. We watch TV and we're watching four and five shows at the same time. We're watching this ball game and that movie and that ball game and, and this other TV show. And, and, you know, you can't decide what you're going to watch. You just have to flip back and forth between all four or five of them and try to keep up with it. But it's because we as humans, we're fickle. We change our minds at a whim. It doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. It's just part of, part of who we are, right? That's how we act all the time. You know, the only thing I can think that really paints somewhat of a picture of how God looks at this. And this is my best attempt at describing this, is as a parent, there are times when your child does something and they need a consequence. They've made a decision, they've made a choice, and they're, they're going down the wrong road. Let's say they have a horrible attitude and they're talking back to you and they're mouthing off. Now, I know none of your kids ever do that, but I, you know, pastor's kids, every once in a while, they get a little crazy. So, you know, they're mouthing off to you, they're getting an attitude, they're talking back, and you go, okay, that's it. 
We were going to go to the park this afternoon, but no more. We're not going to the park now. You have just crossed the line. It's over. You're losing that. That's your consequence for your behavior. Now, sometimes your kids go, so? And they keep doing whatever they were doing. But then there are other times where your kids make a 180-degree turn. Now, this doesn't happen real often, but every once in a while your kids make that 180-degree turn and they come back and even ask forgiveness of, I'm sorry that I said that that way. I'm sorry that I behaved that way. I'm sorry that I lied to you about that. And they change their behavior and they change their attitude. And man, they're just, they're toeing the line from then on and, and everything is different. And what happens as a parent? A lot of times, as a parent, we come back and go, you know, you're doing a lot better. You've changed your attitude. You've turned around. You're acting better. I'm going to go easy on the consequences I said earlier. We'll go ahead and go to the park because you've done so well this afternoon. But there are also times as a parent where you go, no, I'm sorry, you crossed the line this morning and I appreciate that your attitude's changed, but you're still going to have to pay the consequences for your choices. And as a parent, we do that because we have our child's best intentions in mind. We see patterns in their behavior. We see things that they're doing. We know ways that they react. And we are doing the best that we can possibly do to help them learn and to help them understand and to help them to grow up to be the children that God wants them to be. And so we make the best decision we can make with the information that we have, which is a lot more than they have, because we have a lot more life experience under our belt. And we make the best decision we can to help move them along on their journey. Don't you think God does the same thing to us? He sees the big picture. He knows a lot better than what we know. And he makes decisions based on our response that are according to the way he wants to mold us, just like that scripture that talks about the clay pot. You know, there's times that he has to just start over and get that lump of clay going again and create a whole new pot. And then there are times that it just kind of comes together and it crafts. But God wants what's best for us. His intentions are good for us. It's that picture of the balance of discipline and grace and love. Basically, as I wrestled through all this, this is the conclusion that I came to. God is immutable. I know it's a big word, but God is unchanging. He is unchanging in his character. He is unchanging in who he is. And it doesn't matter who we think he is or who we think he might be. What matters is who he tells us he is through his scripture. And we look at verse after verse after verse that tell us about who God is. And he is consistent with that character throughout. Look at some of the character traits of God. And these are just some of the attributes, just a few. But look at them. God is transcendent. We see in Exodus 3.14. He is unchangeable in Malachi 3.6. He's eternal in Revelation 1.8. He's loving in 1 John 4.16. Merciful, Exodus 34.6. He is good, Psalm 105. He's truthful and faithful, Titus 1.2. He is wise, Job 12.13. He's graceful, 1 Peter 5.10. He's patient, Psalm 103.8. He is holy, Isaiah 6.3. He's peaceful, 1 Corinthians 14.33. He is righteous and just, Deuteronomy 32.4. He's perfect, Matthew 5.48. He's glory-filled, Psalm 24.10. And he is forgiving, Nehemiah 9.17. These are just a few of the attributes of who God is. And it's not just this single scripture beside each word that describes those attributes of God. You see this throughout the Bible, throughout scripture. There's many scriptures that show these attributes that tell us who God is. 
Again, it doesn't matter who we think he is. It matters who he tells us he is. When you look at these attributes of God, at these pieces of God's character, these are the things about God that are unchanging. We may not always understand why he makes a decision he makes. We may not always understand why he takes the response that he does. But we can rest in the fact that these things are not going to change. This is the unchangeable piece of God. This is his character. As you look at this list this morning and you think about where you are in life, which one of these attributes means the most to you? Which one of these things do you need most in your life today? Whether things are going good or things are not going so good, when you think about God and you think about the fact that God is unchanging and he is your rock, he is a solid rock, when you think about that, which characteristic do you need most in your life? I want to challenge you this morning to come forward. As you can see, there's rocks all across the front of the stage and there's sharpies beside all of them. As the band plays, when you're ready, as you take time and you reflect about these things, I'd like for you to come forward and take one of these sharpies and just write on that rock, that attribute of God that you need most in your life right now. These rocks are small enough that if you want, you can stick them in your pocket and you can carry them around for the next week or month or however long you need to carry it. If you're like me and you have to get up and spend a lot of time fixing your hair in the mornings, maybe you want to set it on the counter in the bathroom where you can look at it every day and go, that is the thing I need to remember about God because that is my unchanging God, my rock. Some of you may need a big long rock like this to write a big word on. Some of you may get a smaller one for a simple word. It doesn't matter which word you choose. It matters for what's most important to you right now, where you are in your journey, where you are in your walk. You can trust that God's character is unchanging. You can trust that he is who he says he is and that he is faithful to you. And all of these things that you see, and these are just some of them, will always remain faithful will always be unchanging. So as the band plays, would you come forward, take a rock and write down that attribute that you need and then take that with you this week so that you can be reminded that that's what God is in your life. Let's pray.